how I got here. The inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Hello there and welcome to another episode of How I Got Here. That's uh, Focuswire and Mozio's uh, weekly podcast where we interview the innovators and entrepreneurs in travel, tourism and hospitality and ground transportation. Uh, this week, we're delighted to be joined by Steve Domin. He's the uh, CEO and co-founder at Duffel, which is the UK-based travel technology platform launched in 2017. Uh, the company's done pretty well so far in just that short amount of time. It's raised over $55 million in investment capital and is backed by the likes of uh, Benchmark, Blossom, Index Ventures, Kima Ventures, and Y Combinator. Uh, Steve, uh, originally from France, was previously working for Go Cardless and Capsule. Uh, a very warm welcome, Steve. Thanks for joining us on How I Got Here. Thank you for having us. Okay, right. So uh, regular listeners will know, and I'm sure you do, that our very first question is always the same one, and that is, tell us, Steve, how did you get here? Yeah, so um, the, I, as you said, I wasn't originally working in the, the travel industry. Uh, I was working in, uh, in, in payments before that, spent four years at GoCardless. And um, while at GoCardless, I had this uh, side project with a couple of friends called Next Weekend. Uh, it was a a, a website uh, that generates weekend getaway package. And um, GoCardless is an API company, a payments API company. And I was very familiar with the likes of Stripe and Twilio and Plaid in, uh, in uh, payments and telecom and financial services. So these API providers that give you everything out of the box and that are very easy to integrate as a developer. And so... We were looking at that project next weekend and very naively thinking, well, I mean, travel must not be that complicated. Surely we can somewhere and get all of the content that we need, um, all of the, the, the flights and the hotels and the, the car rentals and everything. And uh, I mean, I, I, you, were, you were smiling, so you know that the, our reality was, was very different. Um, we, um, we searched for a while and I mean, ended up randomly on the websites of Amadeus and Sabre, companies we had never heard of and that really didn't seem like your typical uh, developer platform. Um, lots of like marketing language and no sign up button. And fast forward a little bit, we, we ended up using the, um, the QPX Express API. So after Google bought ITA, they left um, a kind of slimmed down version of the QPX shopping yeah. engine available. And, um, and, and we used that to build the first version of the platform. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't really used by anyone uh, because it didn't work really well. We couldn't book anything. We could just show the flights. Uh, so it wasn't great from a, from a user experience standpoint. Um, and as we've pretty much all side project or most developer side project go. We just kind of parked it. We're like happy. We had built something, put it online. It wasn't good, but we were, we were kind of left it there. And then a couple of years after, I left uh, GoCardless and um, I, um, alongside my, my co-founder, Tom, we were looking at that project uh, again and thinking like, hey, can we, can we, can we reboot this and, and build a better version? 
And we were thinking that by now, someone must have built a really easy way to access uh, travel content. We were looking for the, the Stripe of travel or the, the Twilio of travel. And that still wasn't the case. So we just really like started digging into the industry and understand the, the way the data was flowing, the way the money was flowing and, uh, and, um, and Duffel was born. That's pretty much, pretty much it. Okay. Um, lots of things for us to, to dig into on this. Um, whenever we've interviewed um, people on how I got here and it's their, you know, they came from an industry that was nothing to do with travel and they thought, okay, well, let's start digging around. And you had some experience, as you said, with working with QPX, but did you, were you ever put off by the complexity of it? You know, just kind of why on earth should we even go down this route? Because it's so crazy. Um, yeah, there's obviously moments where you ask yourself, like, why, like, why am I doing this? You know, why it's so complex and I don't know any of it. And, but it's also what makes it like very, very interesting and, and, and compelling because we were, we were thinking uh, if, if it's so complex for us that have like free times and are just digging and talking to people and we, we talk to a lot of people from the industry, then how many how many other developers, founders, entrepreneurs have just kind of let go of ideas just because uh, they, they couldn't get it off the ground. And I think as, as much as it, as it scared us, it also kind of fueled us and, and made us really want to, to build that product. And did you look at any of your kind of peers or people that had come before you that had tried to solve the similar problems? I mean, one that always kind of comes to mind which is a fairly famous story in the last 15 years was a company called Everbread, which yeah. was, you know, going to um, kind of do some similar types of things and had a very enigmatic kind of founder behind it and a equally um, genius like developer who was going to solve all this. And they had some terrible problems and not least ending up in the courts. I mean, but did you look at their experience of what they tried to do, for example, and say, okay, well, let's not do it. What, the way they did it and let's do it our own way yeah i mean yeah definitely i think one of the one of the things you have to do as a as a founder that enters a new industry is really understand its its story so we 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 spent a lot of time um studying and and talking to people that had been there uh uh, I mean, obviously, Everbread was a good example. Uh, yeah. We looked at previous attempts at kind of new distribution companies as well. G2 uh, Switchworks yeah. uh, come to mind. So we, yeah, we really like had, a, uh, I think, a, a good picture of the landscape and what had been tried before. Um, but at the same time, I, I think you still need that naivety that <laughs> you you can you can do it you know like the, it didn't work for x and y reason but now like now is the time and i mean initially a lot of people that we were talking to in the industry they were like supportive of the idea but very dismissive that we would get anywhere with it yeah. they were like oh this this would be amazing and people have tried that but you know like it's very difficult you're probably not going to manage to do it and yeah. Uh, and arguably, we still haven't proved that we could, but we're much further along. <laughs> uh, just before David chimes in here, I mean, just for uh, listeners who may not remember, I mean, G2 Switchworks was one of what they were called mini GDS or Genies, yeah, which was mid to late 2000. And ironically, it was end up bought by Travelport, which is one of the very companies that, uh, that you, you're seeking to disrupt. Anyway, David, sorry. I want to delve a little bit into kind of what you just said there, like, you know, 
uh, you learned from these these past guys, you know, what changed? What are you doing differently? And like, I think that, you know, like, and I alluded to this before we jumped on the call here, like what you're doing is kind of what a lot of people have, um, you know, they've had hate dreams about <laughs> GDSs in, the, in our industry and, the, you know, about, you know, unseating them somehow, but there's a reason why Amadeus, Travelport, and Sabre are still around. Um, you, clearly, you've figured out some degree of success here. What was your angle? What was your wedge? What did you understand that Everbred, all these other guys did not about how you make this happen? Or was it simply timing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think timing plays, plays a huge role in, in, uh, in the success that we've had so far. To your question, there's like two elements that really um, uh, pop up for me. One is obviously like NDC was a massive enabler uh, uh, for us. Uh, so the, the new distribution capability, the new standard for accessing airline content. That, um, it, you know, like there was this industry push. There was this desire from the airlines to kind of redistribute the cards and, and do things differently. And uh, that provided a lot of momentum. The, the second aspect that, um, that I, I guess is, is, um, comes from Duffel and comes from our, our approach to that market is my understanding of all of the past attempts at doing that is that they are very airline-centric in the sense that they, they start with what the airline wants and what has existed before and the way the GDS works. And what we did with Duffel is obviously like NDC was on the way. And so what the airlines wanted was very important, but we really took a merchant, a seller centric approach to how we were building the product. And that was rooted in our experience. We, we wanted to build the product that developers and entrepreneurs want to use. And we just looked at all of the hurdles that stood in the way of, of making it very easy. And, and I think that just meant that we approached the product in a very different way and had that developer centricity and um, the, the Duffel content offering that we've, uh, we've um, announced like very recently. There's a, a few aspects that made it very different. It's funny. I, I've encountered something similar with Mozio in the ground transportation world. We were... Um, we had a lot of competitors uh, who were very supplier centric as well. They, they wanted to do what the limo company wanted and we wanted to do what the TMC or the OTA wanted. What we found though, is that those limo companies uh, were, were not going down without a fight. <laughs> and, um, and uh, you know, they did not uh, understand, you know, the benefit of, of potentially being part of a system like ours. Um, I imagine um, what I experienced with limo companies must be times 10 with airlines. There's only, there's, you know, a couple carriers per nation, if you're lucky, versus there being 50 limo companies per city. I had a lot more negotiating leverage than you did. Um, so how, I, I still, I'm still kind of sitting here going like, how, how, <laughs> like, 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 how did you guys get, the, get these guys to come around? Like, um, you know, it, it, and, and it seems to me just like, um, being, you know, saying you're going to be customer centric is a real, is a good thing. And, and I was curious how you pulled it off. Yeah. I, I, I think it's all uh, a lot of the work that, um, that, that we've done is showing that actually that seller merchant centricity wasn't, um, in opposition with what the airlines wanted. And so, Again, like going back to what was happening in the industry and NDC and like the airlines wanted to retail their product. They wanted to sell more ancillaries. They wanted more self-service flows. And we, 
was we were saying essentially look the sellers want to do that as well they want to to have nice apis that they can integrate quickly in order to build this flow so there is no there is no tension or at least the tension that's there doesn't need to be there and um and a, a lot of what duffel does is removing the friction in in like between these two um these two parties and and saying you actually want the same thing so how do we make that transaction more efficient how do we make it happen um i don't know if that answers your question i'm happy to uh, yeah i mean yeah like we'll keep on we'll keep on uh, sussing it out but kevin <laughs> I, I've, I've got something i want to ask you steve and that is um often when you talk to startup founders who've got a great idea and they've got some kind of proof of concept but they're really coming in at something like a an ecosystem like airline distribution that has so much legacy and so much traditional historic relationships right how do you and this is a this is great for all the founders that are listening here how do you actually or how did you manage to get a phone call with an airline distribution person just that it, it, it seems like a really minor detail you know once you've got them on the phone you can tell them and you can blow them away about your product and the customer centricity of it. And it's all brilliant, but actually literally getting someone to listen to you in the first place. How do you do that? Given that there are many startups that always want to work with airlines, for example. Yeah. Yeah. I think here the key is that these large organizations, they are composed of many small teams and people at the end of the day that need to get a job done. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the work as a founder is to kind of break down these these big companies when you need to work with them and, and figure out who like who needs what. And at the time where we did Duffel, uh, there was the distribution team and the NDC teams and the, there was this big push for more momentum in the NDC space. So while we were just an idea at the time, um, we in a way like we were playing into what someone in British Airways or what Americans like was trying to achieve. So we were kind of navigating in, in, in their currents. And and that had, that that helps tremendously. I think if you're trying to do something that no one in the organization really wants to do, it makes things a lot more difficult. So yeah. um again like NDC was a big enabler here. And I mean to be fair, like um we were very, very lucky in that, um, and hats off to the, the team at American Airlines. I think we, we owe them uh, a lot. They, they jumped on board very quickly, and they, they've been a fantastic partner uh, since, since the beginning of, of the company. And uh, they kind of took the chance. And then, you know, like it's an industry where once you have one, it yeah. really helps yeah. with, with the others. Well, so that's actually what I wanted to ask you about. Um, funny enough, um, I got an email a few days ago from a guy named Andrew Chen, who's uh, the board member at Clubhouse, and he's writing a book apparently called The Cold Start Problem. And um, and it's about how do you cold start these kind of, you know, marketplaces and um, specifically, you know, Clubhouse being the biggest example of this. But I imagine you had a pretty hard cold start problem. So maybe you can detail who was the first domino to fall when it came to who was the, 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 the either the airline or the person who believed in you first. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 100% American Airlines for us there. Um, we, we reached out call to the NDC distribution team saying what we were trying to, uh, um, to build. And uh, after a couple of back and forth and a few weeks of just 
you know, talking and explaining the, the product. We, um, they, uh, they, yeah, they, they opened uh, sandbox access and, and that enabled us to start like actually building a product because until you have that, you, I mean, you're just an API that's like empty of anything. And um, yeah, that was, that was massively helpful. And then we were talking to British Airways at the time and obviously the, the ties between British Airways and American are, are quite strong. So while I don't know what happened in the background, I mean, like shortly after, with Ameri- after American Airlines uh, uh, give us access, uh, we also uh, got British Airways. And, and then, yeah, you just build momentum. It was just Sandbox initially. It took us about a year to, um, to go to production with American after that. And, um, and, and things have gone much quicker since then. Now we have a much, much faster turnaround. So along those lines, so they exposed, you know, their sandbox to you, you, you got things going. Um, there's a famous fight that, you know, a bunch of GDS has had with Lufthansa a few years ago, but they didn't want to pay anymore. Right. And, and Lufthansa withdrew. Um, I imagine one of the hurdles here must have been like, how are you going to make money off of off of this? And I'm sure they asked you the same thing. Um, you know, one, were they willing to pay? If not, how are you making money? And how did you think about a business model and a system where everyone, where, where flights are often considered the loss leader in order to sell a hotel? Yeah, so we, I mean, like we didn't like revolutionize everything here. I think uh, there was enough revolutionizing happening with the product. So we just came to the airline and said, we, we understand the new deal. We understand what you're trying to achieve. And um, we're going to push a model that, um, that will be aligned with that and charge, uh, charge the merchants that use the Duffel platform. And again, I think like we, we had, um, while informed, we had a pretty naive view of, of the, the ecosystem and, and the, the specifically, I would say like how airline specific of a problem it was. Uh, I think it's easy to draw general conclusions from a few of the, of the, the initial conversations that we had, but, but it made sense as a model to start with. We just, uh, we needed like kind of one side to, to, uh, to get going and, and, um, and, and it worked. Um, and that's, that's um, what we've done so far. It wasn't so much of an issue because, again, going back to the initial thesis of Duffel, obviously the the larger and more like um, I guess um, traditional travel agents they have a model today with the GDS that works, and but we weren't targeting um, these guys. We were targeting the agencies that or the, the sellers, like to be more generic, that wouldn't even dream of selling flights just because they look at the GDS and the complexity and ticketing authority and airline partnership. And they're just like, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. And, and the fact that they had to pay for access to the API wasn't such an issue. Who are those people out of curiosity, those, those clients? So who would your target demographic be if not the traditional guys or Expedia? Who? So part of, a, part, of our, uh, part of our thesis is that it's so hard to access travel inventory today that there is a whole category of uh, potential sellers for travel products that don't do it because it's just too complex and there's too much knowledge. So, you know, like more traditional e-commerce players, like imagine like, integrations with Shopify in the future or selling directly from Instagram or Uber uh, upselling you on ancillaries or uh, we've talked to banks, uh, especially neobanks that want to offer loyalty um, programs. Uh, So there's a 
uh, I guess a long tail of players that um, that we think would want to sell travel products but can't really do it today because it's too complex. Interestingly, as as uh, as I guess these things always develop, we we still 100% believe in that. Uh, COVID has definitely sl- slowed the momentum around that, uh, although we're still seeing uh, st- seeing some people interested in doing it, but it's it's slower and. Um, We've also been working a lot with new startups in the travel space. So they are facing the same hurdles of understanding the industry and, and how to access, uh, access contents, uh, but they are doing something more traditional. So OTAs, two operators, corporate booking tool, uh, just a crop of new players. Steve, do you think you could have created Duffel and had the momentum that you've had with Duffel if the drive towards NDC hadn't happened? It would have been very difficult. I think if you mm-hmm. ask me today, knowing, or at least the product in its current um, incarnation, I think would have been very, very hard. The only way we would have made it happen was by, by just going to one of the GDS and, and build that new API on top of the GDS. But I think it would have been less relevant in a way in the long mm-hmm. run. Um, so a uh, short answer, probably not. Yeah. Okay. Uh, just to change gears a little bit, uh, I've asked you this before, Steve, and I think it's it's really interesting. And I, I position this purely as a very, I was a very frustrated journalist for a little while because there were lots of people talking about Duffel and no one really knew what you were trying to do other than those that you had pitched the product to. And us in the press were just hearing about this hot new startup and you deliberately took this this kind of stealth mode where you didn't really tell anybody about it. And then you raised some money and people still didn't know what the hell was going on. And I just thought, you know, again, from a journalist perspective, that was just an interesting tactic and almost very different to perhaps what the traditional travel startup kind of marketing and publicity thing is, which is to tell everybody about every minutiae of whatever you're doing all the time and i just wondered if you could share with the with our listeners why you took that approach which was to do everything as quietly as you could for quite some considerable time i mean we we a fantastic um, in, investor at duffel um, uh, michael moritz and he mm-hmm. once told me uh, very early on that one of the the biggest advantage that startup have is speed and stealth um, and that was definitely, uh, I guess, as you, as you know, as you experience yourself, a big part of our strategy for a long time. We, there, was a, there was a lot of momentum around NDC, but not so much. There wasn't, we couldn't see anyone that was really trying to do what we were doing. And so mm-hmm. our strategy was just like, let's not tell anyone what we're doing and go as fast as possible in building it so that we can, we can, uh, we can build a kind of a competitive advantage and just be a, um, ahead of, of the market. Um, there, is a, there is a fine line in, um, in when you go out of stealth, like there is a moment, there is like diminishing returns after a while because you can't talk about your product. Um, you, <laughs> it makes hiring much more difficult because you are not just like talking about. Um, and so, yeah, there was always this question coming, coming back up i was like oh when when do we exit stealth like when is the moment where where we stop and we probably pushed it a bit too far i think i would say retro retrospectively Um, i completely agree uh, yeah (laughs) (laughs) and i mean just related to this then i'm just looking at when your uh, investment rounds came in so um 
forgive me if these are wrong, they're from Crunchbase. So August 2018 was the first one of around 5 million. Then you had about just under a year later of 22 million thereabouts. And then about eight, uh, six months after that was the big one at 30. What, was the, what led to that jump between the, uh, the seed round of five and the Series A of uh, 22? Was that just that you were able to prove the story of what Duffel was all about? Or were you already in kind of growth mode and needed a little, you know, quite considerable more, you know, four times as much money for the, for the Series A? Um, I mean, it was a, a bit of both. Um, we... We were obviously like attacking something that was gigantic, and that's um, that created a lot of um, a lot of investor interest. And we had the momentum with the airlines, uh, like we we had more airlines, and the product was coming along really really well. And we also, the more we were working with the airlines, the more we were realizing, wow, that's going to take a long time to build, and we'll need a lot of engineers uh, because obviously the the APIs. Uh, all have their specificity, and um, and that was a big driver in in, in doing the, in doing these rounds um, in 2019. Uh, we just we could see that this was going to be a long game, and that uh, capital was going to be very important. And maybe you can't open the the box to all your kind of state secrets, as it were. But I'm curious, given the complexity of what you're trying to solve and all those different things in the developer time, I would imagine is a big outlay. How do you arrive on a figure like 22 and then more recently 30 million? Is that something that, that you dictate to the, to the investor or the investor dictates to you? I mean, this is, this is really interesting for our kind of founder listeners here. How do you kind of come up with a figure? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's a conversation. It's a, it's a back and forth. Uh, there's like several, I guess parameters to the conversation is one is the plan that that you've laid out, but as as we all know, a plan can be dialed up and down. So it's it's I think it, yeah, there's like several several elements to it. The obviously um, the there is an element of dilution for the existing shareholders um, valuation. I mean yeah, there's like several knobs that that go into the the decision. So, Steve, uh, you know, what's next? Um, is it just more airlines? Is it, you know, like, I- I'm curious, you know, and maybe this um, falls uh, into the stealth category, as we just discussed, but, um, you know, you compared yourself to Stripe, and I think that's a wonderful comparison. Um, uh, you know, there were tons of, you know, players before Stripe, but you're right in that, you know, if in the way you said you've uh, religiously focused on customer kind of centric stuff versus the, you know, in their case, the payment providers and in your case, the, the airlines, um, uh, just making it super, super easy. Some of the stuff, you know, they added was, you know, really easy to, uh, to incorporate, you know, a company. They've added all these features, bells and whistles to basically, uh, you know, ensnare you and, and keep you there. And I remember when Mozio first started, we had various points considered switching to Braintree for lower fees. And we haven't had that conversation in about five years. So um, I imagine there's got to be some interesting stuff on your product portfolio. And I'm curious if it's um, things other than airlines, you plan on moving into hotels or anything like that, um, or if it's doubling down on airlines and what features are you considering launching next? Yeah. So on, on the airline side, we still have a ton to do. Um, there's, um, we were just working on um, one of the, the most requested feature at the moment around changes and, and enabling like self-serve changing uh, flight change flows. Um, and then there's like, you know, like an infinity of, of um, things that 
have been built over the years by the GDS and the different providers. So we definitely have the, a long roadmap on the flight side. We, one of, one of the, I guess, product aspects that we're the mo most excited about is how can we build on top of the API to make it even easier for, um, for sellers to get started. So, um, I mean, widget or UI components that can just be dropped in, uh, maybe, maybe a white label uh, interface at some point. Uh, it's just like we, again, in that, in, in that spirit of reducing the barriers, we're okay, always looking for ways to make it faster and easier to, uh, to, to use the powers of the API that we have. And then, um, I mean, hotels come back very often, uh, as do trains and car rentals. Uh, so, uh, the discussion around new verticals are like nev never closed. They're always, always open. And while we, we want to stay very focused on what we're doing uh, today, and we still think we have a significant amount of work on the flight side, uh, yeah, we'll definitely um, have some announcement in, in that space over the years, I'm sure. Um, I've got a couple of uh, last ones from me, really, Steve. I mean, can you give us two, two parts to this question? What have you learned most from when talking to airline people, first of all? And then what have you learned from talking to, or what have you learned from how the GDSs operate? Um, so to your first question um, from talking to airlines, I guess one thing is that they, they have these, um, these systems, um, whether it's, you know, the, the PSS and all these different components uh, for revenue management and the DCS and whatnot and all the acronyms. And um, it's incredibly, it was incredibly surprising to learn how siloed each of these systems were and how um, for the airlines, it's incredibly difficult to have um, I guess a strategy that's encompassing all of these components, you know, they're like looking at distribution and then all the attention is on, is on the, the PSS and the APIs that sit on top of the PSS. And then when it comes to merchandising, it's like a, a completely different system that is not necessarily well integrated with. So it's definitely like something that's, that comes back very often in our conversations with airlines is it's very, very difficult to drive changes across the board. It's just, you, it requires a considerable amount of efforts and, and resources. Um, and I guess it sort of answers your second question as well, which is um, while there's a lot of talk in the industry about how modular the different um, systems are, I think we're f very far away from uh, like true mod modularity where you know, anyone can build anything on top of any of this component and easily access the data and pipe it into another system. It's, yeah, it, yeah it's just not, not a reality today. Yeah. And I, I, I said it was my last question, but this is gen genuinely my last question. I mean, I, I, I'm always curious about the relationship between so-called gatekeepers and startups. So, you know, you as a founder and the CEO of a startup that's trying to disrupt a gatekeeper or the gatekeepers you must have had 
conversation means conversations i mean how do they whether they're in a social setting or whether they're in a business setting i mean how do you kind of handle that as someone who's running a company that wants to disrupt the people that you're talking to we are quite fortunate in that these organizations are very large so um you have love relationships with some parts and eight relationships <laughs> with other parts i think in um, and maybe eight is too strong of a word and so is love probably in that context. But um, <laughs> there's, um, yeah, like there's like parts. I mean, we, we, we connect into some of the, some of the NDC products of the, the, the GDS on the IT side. And uh, because the, that's what some of the airlines we work with are, are using. And so you need that fluidity here. But then at the same time, we definitely had commercial relationships in the past where, yeah, like it's, it's a bit less fluid. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us on how I got here this week. That was really interesting. Thank you. No, thank you. It was a pleasure. Okay. And we'll be looking forward to tracking your progress over the years to come. So we wish you, you and the rest of the team all the best. Uh, for those of you that are tuning in for the very first time, you can subscribe to How I Got Here at all the usual places where you get your favorite podcasts, Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, all those kind of things. Um, so yeah, go on there, give us a review, subscribe. That would be great. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode of How I Got Here. That's uh, Focus Wire and Mozio's weekly podcast where we talk to the innovators and entrepreneurs in travel, tourism, ground transportation, and hospitality. So thanks again on behalf of uh, David and I. Thanks again to Steve. And as always, thanks to everyone everybody for tuning in and we'll see you next time thank you thanks for listening to how i got here podcast we'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation check mozio.com move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages and get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com see you next week